Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Chris Stashu. I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone. And we're the hosts of Dreams for Sale, a once a month look at the Twilight Zone 1985, otherwise known as Father Malone's favorite remake of the original show. That's true. On this episode, we are going to be venturing once again back into season two of the show with episode three. That episode is broken into two segments The Storyteller and Night Song. Man. I chase down library steps, and so our story begins. Like life, all stories have a beginning, middle, and end. But the distances between beginning and end, between story and life, can sometimes be deceptive, especially when viewed through the shifting prisms of the Twilight Zone. This episode aired October 11th, 1986. The first segment, The Storyteller, is directed by Paul Lynch, written by friend of the podcast, Rock Neil Bannon, and it stars Glynis O'Connor as a old woman reminiscing about the times when she was young and not in terrible old woman makeup, and all about a, a little boy who keeps his great-great-great-great-grandfather alive through the magic of storytelling. Father Malone... I'm curious. What did you think of this segment? Oh, where to begin? Um, Or we could just not begin at all and just end it right here. Yeah, I like. uh, Look, I, I, it, it's, it's a spectacularly writerly episode where they're making a story about storytelling, keeping somebody alive, Um, and. There are aspects of the episode I really enjoyed. Uh, I, just a, a neat spin on the whole Shahrazad. Ah, how do you say Shahrazad? There you go, Shahrazad. Yep. Yeah, the whole Shahrazad um, sort of myth. Um, but at the same time, it is so poor in its execution. And I, I don't know when they're going to learn not to do old age makeup on the show, but they really need to. And uh, I don't know. It. I, I like the concept, but I thought the execution was poor. I'll I'll just say that. What about you, Mike? I think I kind of like this one. I like the little twist at the end that the story that's being told in the episode is the story that's being told to somebody else that we haven't seen at all. I kind of like that little double back thing that they did there. 
Uh, I agree with Father Malone uh, about this being very, very writerly and talking about the power of writing and keeping someone alive by not finishing a story and always leaving uh, leaving you wanting. And I thought it was all right. I I liked the acting uh, throughout this. Um, and I was glad when the school teacher interacted with the old man, uh, the great, 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 great grandfather. Though I'm curious how long she tells the story to the old woman in the bed that we see at the end. Like, was the entire episode what she did, what she told to the old woman, or did she break it up into segments? Yeah, I, I actually kind of wondered that, too. That's funny. <laughs> I think I'm overthinking it, but because they did want to have a little button on the end there. But, yeah, I, I thought it was all right. Uh, though I think that uh, David Faustino as Micah Frost, I don't think that he was getting a very good education. I think he should have paid more attention <laughs> in school. How about you, Chris? What would you think? It's, it's, it's a weird segment because, to, to quote us from previous episodes, it kind of slots itself right into this maudlin thing that the show has kind of been doing all of a sudden. It really is in the same vein as like Grace Note in a way. It's not as over the head saccharine as Grace Note was, but it's in that same vein. I don't have any issue with the tone or the subject matter of the segment. I just, it's just not entertaining. It's just kind of like Father Malone said, it's a failure for the story that they're trying to tell because so many other things with just about as much time have told this story better. And this is not an inherently complicated story to tell. And while I applaud them for, like you said, Mike, doing the double back at the end, because that is a neat little twist to end the episode segment on, that doesn't save the rest of the episode from just being very trite and also very formulaic. You know where it's going to go once you realize that this kid's being serious, he's going to get injured somehow, and she's going to have to figure out a way to find out that this is real and she'll give in and read the story to him. I mean, you could see that all coming from a mile away. It's pretty telegraphed, and it doesn't do any more than that, and that's a failure as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, uh, another another aspect of that, uh, well, there are two things I'd like to sort of point out. One is, why does the kid need to write the stories? I don't get that either. It, would, it seems to me if he just had access to a library, there's a, a, how many books the old man has never heard. So why not just do that and then live a normal life as a child, as normal as it can be where you have to be home by sundown uh, every single night. But um, so there's that. And then the whole opening segment of the story with her recognizing him as an old man on the steps of a library in downtown Los Angeles, uh, we didn't need any of that. It could have just started with the story of, you know, 19, what was it, 30 something and uh, and her narrating it. And the, the payoff would have been the same. So and and then we could have spent a little more time with maybe these characters and gotten to like them a little bit better to speak to your point, Chris, because like if it isn't going to be sort of like rollicking entertainment, then it at least need to we need to identify with these people more. And they didn't bother to give us any of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um... There's that moment near the beginning when the teacher that she's replacing says, always let him have access to the library. So I thought that was really going to come into it at some point, that there was going to be like, no, it's too late. You can't go to the library. But then there is no library. It's just basically the bookshelves behind them. I was like, oh, this is a one-room schoolhouse. There's not really a library, but okay. So to your point, I was thinking at some point, 
that line would come into it, and we would see him taking a book from the bookshelf from the library. Yeah, there's it's 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 weird. I like you said, Father Malone. Why not just read a book, like any book? If it's just about reading something, you're going to tell me that a five to ten year old child can write a more compelling narrative than an adult can, well. given the fact that there may be books on that shelf that are books that are considered classics now i'm not questioning the ability of a child more like the reality of what they're claiming is going on have you seen their bookshelves though they've got all these different copies of 50 shades of gray not compelling (laughs) (laughs) hey you know what as someone who read that first book i can tell you it is not only not compelling it is also not in any shape form or fashion something that would turn a human being on (laughs) did i ever tell you that i took my audio CD of that and threw it out the window of my car. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I was too I, tempted to like keep listening to it, and I was just like, this is not, never going to get any better, and I finally just threw it out the window. I did you one better. I read the whole book in a weekend on, a vi- on my first trip up here to Lincoln, where I live now, uh, to, to, to kind of look at, to visit the campus. I read the book on the airplane and in the hotel room, and I was just like, I hope no one sees me reading this because they are going to think that I am stupid. Is that one better? (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) There's something wrong with this man. He must be stupid. (laughs) He's he's definitely not a pervert. He's just stupid. Uh, It's it's strange, you know, because the story has like such an obvious hole in the narrative that it doesn't really address. It never addresses why the kid, Micah, the, the kid in the episode, why does he have to be the one writing the story? It never addresses that. And like you said, Mike, it not only doesn't address it, it almost doesn't even realize that's what the internal logic of the episode is. Because they do have that foreshadowing that doesn't matter. Right. Because what does he even need to... Why couldn't he just sit there at the, the house with the grandfather and write the goddamn story? I don't even understand why he has to be at the school. Yeah. Like, I mean, none of this, none of this makes sense. He has to be there. Right. But uh, he's not getting any kind of education anyway. So, uh, you know, as, as you guys have said, like, how good can those stories be? He's not learning anything at all. Every story just ends, and then the princess was in another castle. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else does this story that keeps going end. Is it about Falgor and, you know, uh, Atreyu? I mean, is it the never-ending story? Is that what he's reading him? I don't understand. It just, this this episode's logic makes no sense. Zero internal logic. I, I, I gotta say, like, if I were on my perpetual deathbed, and I was having to listen to a story written by a 10-year-old, I think I, I would go, yeah, I don't need to hear the end of that. <laughs> Good night. And on top of everything else, is like to the teacher's point, to Glennis O'Connor's point, is that much of a life? Right. Yeah. Does he go out <laughs> dancing or does he just sit in the bed the whole time? <laughs> he only gets up dancing when a gold ticket comes through the door. Oh, okay. I mean, Grandpa's lazy ass is sitting in bed the entire movie until he gets a golden ticket, and then that motherfucker wants chocolate. Okay, we get what's up with three other old people. This weird sex game thing that they're playing. Boy, I would love to be in the middle of that right now, wouldn't you? I mean, maybe I am not stupid. Maybe it is a Fifty Shades of Grey thing. Oops. But but seriously, like. The issue with this episode segment is my biggest issue is just it has is no logic. And the moment you 
pull on that string too hard, the whole thing unravels. Like, it's not poorly acted. Nobody's doing anything particularly bad or abrasive. It's just no internal logic. The story that they're telling falls apart immediately. And the framing device is a gimmick for that final twist. No other reason for it, really. Yeah, didn't need it. Yeah. Like, I didn't need to see your daughter who doesn't play into the story at all. That's true. So we want to move on to the next segment? Sure. Okay. So let's move on to the next segment, Night Song. So Night Song is directed by Bradford May, written by Michael Reeves. It stars Lisa Ellabacher as a DJ who must cope with the return of her lover when she puts on a vinyl record of his. So Mike White, what did you think of this second segment? Well, I was very glad to see that Jenny had moved on from working for Victor Maitland at that um, art gallery out in Beverly Hills. So that was good. But otherwise... Axel Foley did her a solid and yeah, got a new job. That, that's very true. Because I don't think you ever see Jenny again, do you? In two or three? No. She never even comes back in two? That's really weird. Anyway, um, you were talking about Maudlin. This was kind of there, and the whole idea of the record brings the guy back so she can I mean I can see the point of it I can see this whole thing of her listening to a song and the guy is a songwriter singer and that this brings him back and now she needs to deal with these emotions because she never really dealt with them before okay that works you know it's is it supernatural? No, it doesn't really need to be supernatural. It doesn't really need to be in this show. There's a couple like little like, hey, that was me on the motorcycle, and actually I'm dead, and here I am in the ravine. I don't care. It's It was decent, but it didn't really thrill me. What do you think, Father Malone? Well, tell me where does it say, when you're lost, you stay that way. What a great song for a great episode. Night song. Um, this might be uh, a, a, a heavy contender for my least favorite episode of the entire series at this point. Even worse than Little Boy Lost. Wow. Ex- See, yeah. there are things worse than Little Boy Lost, boys. I told you, and nobody believed me when I said the one last season was as bad. Yeah, um, because at least, uh, as we've said before, when you pointed that out, like Little Boy Lost is a good episode with a terrible message. This one is a boring slice of life. I got jilted once and never got a chance to uh, reconcile with somebody when they moved out of my life. How do I turn that into a Twilight Zone episode? Oh, I'll make him a ghost. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) This, I I, I don't don't know. it, It staggers me how bad this is. And I like the idea of like, uh, a vinyl record, like bringing a ghost back. Uh, like there are little things in here that are kind of okay, but mostly it is the most annoying thing. KGRR? Kager? What was that? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, wh- what did you think, Chris? Well, I will tell you that Night Song by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young is a good song. I will say that that is where this episode's quality begins and ends. It's just boring. I mean, like the last segment... What story are you trying to tell? Because it takes you an hour to get there, and this segment's only 20 minutes long. It takes the entire segment to get to the punchline that we already knew. This guy's not alive. Like, I don't understand this segment's ability to not understand that. Like, I don't know why this segment's trying to 
play like we don't realize that guy's dead. It's like obvious from the first moment he shows up. Oh, yeah. And that's like, but look, here's my skeleton. Isn't that wild that I've been dead this whole time? It's like, no, you fucking idiot. No shit, you've been dead. You showed up out of thin air. And you disappeared when she turned around. You're not Batman. No, what the fuck is this? Like, this is lazy as lazy can be again. Like you said, Father Malone, it's it's a it's a cathartic exercise for Michael Reeves for his own personal life turned into a script and 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 shoehorned into the Twilight Zone genre. Like if this guy had been dead from the get go, like she knew he was dead and he appears and she has to deal not only with him back in her life and their unresolved issues but the fact that he's a ghost maybe they could have done something with that uh played with that a little bit instead of this like really bad shell game they're playing that we don't understand that he's dead we all know he's dead who cares right it's not a whole lot to say about this episode (laughs) no neither segment frankly it's it's this is this is somehow as big a waste of time as the storyteller the story that they're telling here just who's it for and what's the message? Like, uh, what, you, your love has gone away? First couple episodes so far this season, like, uh, like kind of reinvigorated me, particularly uh, uh, Saucer of Loneliness, uh, got me excited. Um, and these two segments in this one episode, Jesus Christ, like, <sighs> I don't know. Uh, the, uh, the only good thing about Night Song is it makes uh, the storyteller... Uh, better in my estimation. So, and that's, you know, not great. It only makes it mildly better if that. Right. Because ultimately, at least the storyteller has an ending. This segment's like, and then I played the vinyl, the end. She's that, gotten over him. That, uh, that info dump of a, a other DJ at the beginning of the episode, like a time waster, wheel spinner. Like, let me just lay out the entire plot of the episode here for you or everyone's backstory okay peace out you won't see me again no he doesn't say peace out he says ciao because it's the 80s ciao that's 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 right <laughs> making the episode even worse it's <laughs> constant refrain of ciao or or when she finds his dead body and it's like just the clearly the fakest of fakest fake skeletons you've ever seen <laughs> I'm glad that no one has ever found him before. Right? He's just <laughs> casually covered up by these leaves here. <laughs> There's like a full-on dead body still in perfect shape in the woods two feet off the path. Mm-hmm. Like two feet off the road. Like anyone whose dog ran away would be. Like if you were in a neighborhood and this were in the woods, you would be back there looking for your dog. You would never not find this. What is happening in this episode? It's so weird. It's like a freshman creative writing assignment. That's what it feels like. But yet there's actually like a pretty decent song attached to the episode. (laughs) Night Song's not bad. It's actually a really good song. Like, it's a really (laughs) catchy song. Not as essayed by uh, the the long-lamented Simon Locke. (laughs) (laughs) If I've ever heard of a faker name, I don't know what it is, but Simon Locke is a pretty fake name. Remember when Russell Crowe had a, a quasi music career early on, and his his stage name was Russ LaRock? Wow, no, I don't remember that one. L E R O Q, Russ wow. LaRock. Look it up on YouTube; it's hilarious. Mother of God! But is it as good as Night Song? 
It's um, yes, it is because uh, you, you will get entertainment value out of uh, Russ LaRock. <laughs> Might not be his intended entertainment, but you'll get it. Here's the thing I didn't understand from this segment since I feel like we're spinning our wheels here looking for things to talk about. <laughs> Why did he say that the motorcycle that almost hit her was him? That was weird. Right? Super weird. What does that mean? Was it actually you? Was it metaphorically you? Was it you from a time past and you're reminding her that it happened? It doesn't explain it, so I'm doing a better job of explaining it than the episode does. Yeah. They might, be, might have um, done some visual aid there to let us know what happened on that fateful evening. Right. A flashback of some sort? Something like that on television. Hmm. Through that visual medium that we love so much. <laughs> the visual medium of TV that this episode and the last one don't seem to give a shit about. Boy, oh boy. This, these two segments on this episode are very poorly written short stories turned into episodes of a TV show. These would have probably worked better as actual on-page short stories. At least the storyteller would have. Yeah. This one, maybe not. But like... this is irretrievably bad. Yeah. This is a throw-the-CD-out-the-window kind of... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on, are you sticking with this is the worst segment of the show so far? For me, as of right now, I, ha- I I can't look into the future of these seasons, but uh, yeah, this one, I, I, I do not want to watch it again. I remembered seeing it uh, as a kid, and as soon as it started, I went, oh my God, not this one. So now all we have to do is find the one that's the worst for Mike, because we each have one now that yeah. isn't the one we all agreed on. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, yours is coming. I guess I'm very forgiving, huh? I... Uh... I guess. Are you just not as angry as we are? <laughs> or the message of the little boy my... lost was so fucking offensive you can't let go. There is that. That's my secret, Chris. I'm always angry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so on that note, on the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be taking a look at season two, episode four. That is broken into three segments. The After Hours, Lost and Found, and The World Next Door. Until then, where can people find you, Father Malone? Check me out over on fathermalone.com. You can hear my podcast, Dark Destinations. It's a radio drama that takes people to places that do not exist. You can also hear me over on Chronicles from the Crypt, although not for too much longer. Uh, The show Chris and I do about the HBO television series Tales from the Crypt. Are you getting kicked off of Chronicles from the Crypt? We are. Oh, man. I hear that. That other guy that you do that with is a real pain in the ass. It's true, he is. Can be. Also, also Can there's be. no more Tales from the Crypt to watch with, oh. with the seventh season. There is a logical terminus for the show. It, it ends where there's no more show. <laughs> I hear that yeah. Dark Destinations is a very sexy show. It is so sexy that it could get you banned. Mm. Wait, what? I put up a commercial for Dark Destinations on Facebook, was immediately flagged as uh, breaking uh, the, the you know, community guidelines uh, as too sexualized, um, which shocked me. I mean, I guess my voice is kind of sexy, but not that sexy. Uh, because there was, there, was, there was no hint of sexuality in the ad. They reversed themselves within an hour saying, like, we re-reviewed it, we're sorry. But they kicked me off Facebook for 24 hours. Weird. So I mean, weird. you did mention you did mention laying some fat pipes. So 
<laughs> Go on down but to Dark Destinations and we'll lay some pipe on you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, you know what they That's say, the you can't win with Facebook, show. you can't win with YouTube. Who are you going to win with? Uh-huh. No one. What about you, Mike? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me over at The Projection Booth, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. And you can find me with Chris talking about Barney Miller at the Life and Times of Barney Miller podcast, which is, uh, it's out there. You just got to use that Google machine. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Christmas Claus. CultureCast is a podcast I do about movies. And yeah, that's it. You can listen to more episodes of this at TwilightZone85.com. We're on Twitter at, at TwilightZone85 on Twitter. Big thanks to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.